the best teachers I've had are the horses themselves because they if, if you listen to them they'll teach you a lot they let you know when you're doing things correctly and they let you know when you're not so if, as long as you're listening they're there to be be probably one of your biggest instructors Welcome to Practical Horseman's new podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show, which runs every other week, is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform and inspire. I'm Sandy Olenek, and this week's episode is with Grand Prix rider Margie Goldstein-Engel. Gutsy, determined, relentless. These are just a few adjectives used regularly to describe one of the winningest jumper riders in the United States for more than three decades. To date, Margie has won more than 200 Grand Prix classes, six World Cup qualifiers, more than 20 Nations Cup classes, and a record 10 American Grand Prix Association Rider of the Year titles. She competed in the 2000 Olympics. She won various medals at the 99 Pan American Games and also the 2003 Pan Am Games and she helped bring home Team Silver at the 2006 World Equestrian Games. More recently, she and the Oldenburg Stallion Royce have been in the winner's circle numerous times. In 2018, they won the 500,000 Rolex CSI 5-star, and Royce was named the 2018 U.S. Equestrian Federation Grand Prix Horse of the Year. And they kicked off 2019, finishing second in the Longines Grand Prix of the Palm Beach Masters CSI 5-star. For this podcast, Margie and I talked at her Gladewinds farm in Florida, and we covered topics such as her experiences as a working student, her early career riding tough horses, her drive and determination, which while fueling her success has also led to some serious injuries, including several broken bones. Margie talks about strategies she uses to better handle losing, which none of us really like to do, and toward the end of the episode, she shares her favorite jumping exercises, which include cavaletti and bounces, and she wrote about these exercises in Practical Horsemen in an article titled Fit and Fun for Life, and we've put that article online, so for more details, go to practicalhorsemanmag.com and search for Margie's name. Let's jump right into our conversation, and we start with Margie talking about why she feels she has been successful. I think mainly just the love for the horses and it's a passion and it's kind of in my blood and once it gets there it kind of stays with you for life and uh, I just fell in love with the horses at an early age and it's something I always love being around them and love doing everything I could from grooming them to riding them around bareback to cleaning their stalls. I just love being around them. They're just very majestic and animals and they've got big hearts and very trusting and, and they're just beautiful animals to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, for your early years you were um, you started at a, a barn at nine years old I think you said and you were cleaning the cat and dog kennels. Can you talk about that and how that led into? Uh, yes we had a, the stable I started off in it had a riding school and they had really nice school horses they had anything from 
beginner horses on up to horses that were nice enough to take to the horse shows down in South Florida. And uh, besides that, they had a dog kennel and a cat kennel, and they had a boarding stable for people to own their own horses. It was a very large barn down in Miami. It was called Gladewinds, and the owners were unbelievable people. They were kind of like second parents to all of us, and a lot of us, we were kind of barn rats and lived at the barn pretty much all day long if we could, and especially when it was during the summers rather than going to camp, we just lived at the barn, and we would... We would even spend the night out there a lot of times on the weekends. We'd sleep on hay bales in the middle of the aisle. But um, when I was younger, I, my parents said they could afford one lesson a week, and and I I did that and to earn extra rides and so forth. I I was able to. I was small, so I couldn't work with the horses and take care of those. They were afraid I was going to get hurt, and they, the horses were too big. So I started off in the dog and cat kennels. So they that let me instead of earning money, I earned more rides and more lessons by working in those and the cat kennels like are very easy they have their little sand pits that they go in and you clean them out and those are easy the dog kennels not so much those were they're pretty dirty but i had fun taking them for walks and and i enjoyed being around them also i've always loved animals so i loved i, I kind of like working around with the dog and the cat kennels too mm -hmm. and then i i kind of i was so excited my parents were kind of laughing when i came home and said well, they let me clean the horses' stalls now, and when I got a little bigger and worked around the horses enough to not to know what they were about, and they weren't as worried I was going to get hurt, then I started working around the staples, helping clean all the tack. They had 20-something bridles, and back then we had to take the bridles completely apart every time at the end of the day, because the school horses were in them a lot, so they got very dirty, and uh, so we took them apart and cleaned them every day, and help tech that that I could do even before they let me start doing the grooming and so forth but we did that and was, I worked my way up to mucking the stalls and help, helping tack up the ponies and horses and and I enjoyed every minute of it I just love being around them um, we talked a little bit about this but um, you know it uh, you had to work off a lot of your lessons and and all that and maybe some of the other kids couldn't um but you said it, that didn't really matter that, that you didn't know I, you. I i didn't really mind that i kind of i think sometimes the harder you work towards something the more you appreciate it and uh i didn't really think of it as work i i really enjoyed taking care of the horses i i love brushing them i love grooming them i didn't mind cleaning out the stalls we'd take them out for grass i remember mrs kramer used to let us sometimes sit on them the ponies when we grazed them so I got to I was so excited I got to sit on them a little bit and I just loved being around them so and most of my friends had their own ponies and horses and they were all really generous about letting me sometimes ride theirs and they used to dare me to do different things they would put like a strap around the neck and dare me to jump them bareback and they'd lunch me over a jump and I'd stick my hands out or sit backwards or stand up and I fell off a lot but it was I had a good time it was I was a little bit of a daredevil and they enjoyed daring me to do things but it got I was able to get on their the ponies a little more and and uh I had fun doing it so they were all really generous and 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 they you know none of them treated me any differently they and and because the Kramer saw how hard I was willing to work to to be able to ride then they gave me a, a job there and and they allowed me to start when they were looking for a rider to help break and show their ponies and their horses uh, Penny Fires, who was working for them, suggested that they hire me, and I was only 12 years old at the time. So I started wake, working with the young horses and breaking them, and, and I loved it. I mean, I did everything from helping with the saddle and bridle 
breaking and driving them in a pony cart and and uh, kind of we almost got them voice voice trained. We had a round pen which was very easy to to break a pony or horse in, and they were so docile by the time that I went to get on them that they were none of them really did anything wrong. All the ones we had since they were babies were none of them bucked or did anything. It was mainly ponies or horses people sent from other barns that hadn't been handled much. Those were the ones that were a little bit trickier and to break. And and at the time when you're a kid, you find that as a challenge and, and it's kind of fun. You just kind of want to work through it and kind of you develop a horse sense through working with different animals and working with different ponies and horses. They all have different brains and see what works and what doesn't. And they, they teach you a lot. They're, they're the best instructors that, that you can have. Now, Margie, um, you're known for your drive and your determination. Um, we uh, Several years ago, we were talking, you recounted a story of when you were learning to um, bowl in high school, <laughs> and after everyone kind of left, you were still trying it, and your fingers were blistered and bloody um, because you wanted to, to be the best at it. Can you talk about that and maybe where that comes from? I, I don't know. Something inside, I just... I just tend to overdo with everything I do I, it's it's something uh maybe my parents instilled in, in me when I was younger and even back from when I was a little kid with practicing the piano my grandmother was a piano teacher and she always says practice makes perfect so I'd be out there practicing and at the piano all the time and and doing that over and over until you I got it right and the same with softball when I was I wanted to play sports with my brothers I had two older brothers and I was there was a seven years between one and eight years between the other so I was quite a bit smaller and younger so I would be out there practicing they wouldn't let me play sports with them unless I played okay enough so I'd be out there practicing throwing the the baseball in a tire you know every day and I'd over and over and and same with tennis I'd be practicing on our garage door for hours it just everything I did I tended to <laughs> to overdo so I I just had that idea in my head that practice makes you know, I, I, and you never get perfect at this job or really at anything else, but it helps you get better. Mm-hmm. So I figured the more I practiced, the better I, I would get. And it was just something I just, whatever I did, whether it was bowling or as I tend, I tend to overdo <laughs> with everything. And, and I love the riding so much. I just, you know, I just kept working at it. I just, I love being on the horses and that's where I wanted to be on their backs all the time. And I just love the riding. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's been said that the horses your horses really try for you um, from from way back you know daydream and and Salou. Um what makes what what do you think makes uh, how do you try to instill that in them or I think you, you, it the horses have kind of an unconditional trust and uh, for people in general and I think as long as you don't do anything to break that trust and you you know you don't you keep them confident in the things you ask them. You don't ask them for more than what they're capable of doing at that point. And I think they they feel what you feel. And if you're confident and you instill confidence in them and and are kind of gutsy, they, they feel that and feel like they're going to try for you. And I also think that they sense if they like you, it's kind of like I, I always tell a lot of people, it's, if a teacher, if you're taking a class and you're a student in the class, you're going to learn a lot more from the teacher you like than one you don't like. It's just it's just kind of human nature, and I think it's horses' nature. If they like you, I think they're going to try harder. So you try and figure out ways to do things that they enjoy too and, and get them to kind of like you and work differently with each horse. You have to treat each one as an individual and and see what their likes and dislikes are and, 
and still at the same time be able to discipline them and have them respect you but without being too harsh you have to know when to reward them and 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 just get them to kind of like you do things the way they they like doing them mm -hmm. each one is different i've had some some horses want you to put a lot more pressure on them and and need a little stronger ride like a stallion like royce and then i have some such as hidden creeks laurel who was a real princess and if you too much pressure on her she would it kind of should almost blow a gasket on you almost tie up because she she gets so uptight if you overdid with the pressure with her so and she was a mare and mares don't necessarily and, and she was sensitive she's very thoroughbred -y. so with her I had to kind of ask her to do things a little bit quieter and and not overdo with the pressure so each one is different and you just have to treat them accordingly mm -hmm. um, are there you know you talk about being very involved both when you were growing up and, and even now being very involved in their care and does that does that play into it you know I, I, I think it's really important to know the horses from the ground up and and I think it was really beneficial that I was able to work around the barn and work around them and kind of develop a horse sense and and you kind of learn their likes and dislikes on the ground and being around them you you can sense things when when they do a little bit because they do honestly sense what you're feeling and if you're in a good mood or a bad mood that day also they they sense that but I, I think it's really important I think it's really important to be around the horses and know what they're thinking and from the ground up and I think that was very beneficial I, I still think it's important for all of that and it's always I always try and keep them as comfortable as possible if it's whether it's sometimes maybe I overdo with the machines and so forth but I think if it's something that might help them that's not going to hurt them they get extra in the way of whether it's the theraplate or the ultrasound or the laser or the life pulse i i use a lot of different machines but and if they and the if they don't like it then i don't use that on that particular horse but they let you know if they like them a lot of horses like almost fall asleep with some of the machines they they love it it's like someone getting a back rub you know mm -hmm. they're, they're mm -hmm. kind of like a dog when you rub them they they just kind of close their eyes and they start licking their lips and and you know you know what stuff they like and if it helps them be a little more comfortable and keeps them happy that's what you want to do <laughs> that's our key is is to keep them happy and comfortable and going how um we spoke that it's it's you've had a lot of great horses and it's hard to say one is a favorite but maybe could you just talk about the different ones you've ridden and what they meant to you and how their personalities well i feel really fortunate i was i think that's part of what made me appreciate the horses later so much uh the first really nice one i had in the jumpers was probably daydream and he was only i think five or six years old when i got him and he was so trusting and he had a lot of scope and a very large horse and i didn't really know what i was doing at the time but i had already i was already doing he was doing the grand prix when he was six and he was just unbelievably trusting and he i probably i think the first year he won three grand prix his first year and that's when they a lot fewer grand prix than there are now and it's probably one of the most exciting moments in my career i remember winning the, the grand prix in cincinnati it was in a football stadium it was very similar to the invitational and it was really exciting for me i was riding against all these top riders that i had always watched from the sidelines and from the fence and uh that was really exciting but he was probably one of my first horses for the big classes that i actually got to keep because most of the other horses and ponies i always rode were for sale and as soon as they would get to a level where they were going to do the bigger classes or going well they would get sold so he was the first one and actually my father was very instrumental in helping me put a 
a limited partnership together to so I could hold on to Daydream. He was a he was about to get sold, and my father was a CPA, and he helped me put a limited partnership together with the help of a lawyer, and and I was able to keep Daydream. So that was the first one I was able to keep, and then through that, that's when I started getting extra rides and. I think when people see you're hungry enough to, I was riding a lot of horses that maybe other people had given up on, and when they saw that they were kind of going around okay, I started getting more rides, and I've been really fortunate to have some other really top horses salute. I got shortly after I had Daydream, and he's probably got the most heart of any horse I've ever ridden. He would just, every time out, he put 100% in there. I mean, he would turn himself inside out to miss the jumps, and and just would do things that I, I think back now, and I it's kind of crazy some of the stuff that I would ask him to do, but he he never said no, and he would he was fast and careful, and what he lacked in scope he made up for in heart. I mean he would just and and carefulness, and he would do anything he could to miss the jumps. You could run flat out and drop the reins, and he would he would study the jump and back himself up, and he did some amazing things, and I think he's, he still has a record for most Grand Prix wins in one year for the AGA and. Then I've had some other top horses later. I was, Hidden Creek Farm has had some really good ones, that, like Hidden Creek's Laurel and Alvaretto and Jones. And Perrin's got to be up there as one of my favorites, too. He's the one I was able to go to the Olympics with and, and was an exceptional horse. And he, what he lacked in training, he made up for it in scope and ability. He, he had only, when he went to the Olympics, he had only been doing the Grand Prix for about five months. He started, I believe, wow. in February or March of that year, and he he really was not that broke, but he was so careful and so scopy and powerful that that he was a, he ended up winning the trials that year, and and he was most horses kind of get scared by the end of the Olympics. He got better and better, and he ended up finishing in the top ten individually and had clear rounds in the in the Nations Cup, and he, he was just an exceptional horse, and he reminds me a lot of kind of Royce. Royce has really got the same personality. They're both very laid back, very powerful, scopy horses and careful. And Royce is maybe a little more elastic than Perrin was, but they're very similar personalities. And him being a stallion um, is a little different. But they're both, they both love affection, and they would crawl on your lap if they, they could. And Indigo's got to be up there as one of my top horses. He's been amazing and still going at 19. And and he's been doing this for like 11 years at the top level. He's like the ever-ready bunny and just keeps going and going. And he still has more energy than my, my young 7- and 8-year-olds do. <laughs> he comes out every day like he's he's fresh as can be and like he's been in the stall for a week. So his enthusiasm makes up, I think, for his age. And I've just been really lucky with, with a lot of nice horses. And it's it's I feel really fortunate. And I think riding a lot of the ones that were tough and at the beginning makes me appreciate these that much more now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you talked about the Olympics. Um, what was it like representing the team? You had you know, already been representing them, you know, Nations Cup, but you know, the Olympics is sort of everyone's dream, every rider's dream, I no, think. For sure it's something you dream of your whole life and it was really, you, you feel a real pride being able to compete for your country and we had a lot of camaraderie with the different people on the team and because we went to Sydney and because of all the rules with the USDA and so forth we were there for I think at least three or four weeks so we really got to know each other we did a lot of dinners together went to some of the other uh, sports and saw the swimming and diving and we got to see a lot of different things that we don't normally get to see 
when you go from horse show to horse show and it was a fun group it was Nona and Laura and Lauren and Todd and we just we I, we did a lot of playing backgammon and different things in between and got to do some other things besides just the riding but it was really a nice time in competing um, I think you said you don't tend to get nervous but you know maybe at the Olympics or but how 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 do nerves play into competing for you you know it's funny I always rode a lot of horses and ponies when I was down in Miami I think Spank counted up one time I had 60 something rounds and one day at Tropical Park I think it was or 68 rounds or something so I, you never really have time to think about it it's just something I was just thinking about the course more than everything else so you don't really get that nervous when you're competing for for your country and you have other people that are depending on you and you and you're competing with a team then you feel a little bit more pressure and and maybe there's a little more where you get get nervous about things especially if you only have one or two horses and and you have more time to think about it and you feel like other people are depending on you and you don't want to let them down so I think that that situation may be a little more so but normally it's not something I really think about normally when I go and and jump the course and just thinking about there's enough to think about with the jumps and the striding and what your horse is doing I just try and focus on what they're doing and the course and not all the other exterior mm-hmm. things so um, what how you know we've talked about the, the wins um, of course in the sport there's a lot of losing we've all been there how do you how do you handle losing I'm not great at that <laughs> I, I do tend to go over things in my head a little too much. I really beat myself up over and over, and I try and think of trying to look at it in a positive way. And and you learn a lot more from your mistakes than you do from what you do correctly. So, you know, I try and try and think over what I did wrong and try and correct it for the next time. But it, and it is it's not a positive thing to keep going over too much of the negative aspects so and I do like I said I tend to beat myself up I think about it all night and it's kind of hard to to not do that uh, especially if you make a silly mistake but for the most part you just try and learn from what you did wrong and and everybody makes mistakes and and you try and learn and and go forward mm-hmm. how do you you know if you're at sitting sitting up at night kind of like you said beating yourself up over something how do you get out of that routine I think that's something a lot of us do you know it's 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 really hard I sometimes it's funny my husband's really good at being a sounding board I talk to him a little bit about it sometimes or I try and do something where uh, it just distracts me from it I play a little video Texas Hold'em or something on the computer and and that helps get my mind off <laughs> off of the course and what had happened earlier just just something to distract you and think about something else and and uh, that's why I enjoy playing poker it kind of is a, a good distraction for me in, in some sense and just going to, to dinner with family and friends and my family really are non horsey at all so it's kind of nice when I go to dinner with them and a lot of my friends that don't do this you don't talk about the horses at all so you're you're talking about things different things so you don't keep beating yourself as much up about what you did that day and they it, it's kind of good they keep you grounded and and uh think you know what it, we're worried about something silly like having a rail down when there's all these other things going on in the world and people in poverty and starving and handicapped and and it really kind of puts things in a better pers- perspective than us being worried about having a rail down or going a little too slow in a, in a class mm-hmm. so you just have to think reality what's what's really important 
And getting back a little bit to talk about winning and losing, um, I think you've said, um, I had a good point that losing, you'd get more upset if, if you made a mistake versus, you know, you just didn't win because the horse, but the horse still went well. No, if, if you're, if you rode okay and the horse jumped well, and even if they don't win, I, I, a lot of times you're still going to be really happy if you maybe went, you know, said, okay, I could have gone a little faster here, left a stride out there, but you don't. I don't know if you beat yourself as much up for doing something like that. If you feel like your horse really went well and it's it's learning and it's it's progressing, then you can still feel happy about how things went. I you know, I have some young horses that are starting and and when they sometimes for them to be just double clean and learning to do the inside turns, that's progress. So you can be happy with that even if they didn't win every class. So it just it depends on the individual and, and what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to achieve that day and 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 no one's going to win every class they go in that that's kind of impossible so you have to pick and choose what's important for that specific horse at that date and and for the different classes and how about uh, you know making making a team or not making a team you know that's it, it's i was talking to george morris um the other day and he was saying when he was riding it was a lot easier to make a team and he said now you know these days and even you know the last decade or so it's it's very hard um, how do you keep that in perspective? I mean, the, the sport's gotten more and more difficult. There's more and more people in involved in it, and it's great that our country has such depth. But for sure, it makes it more difficult to get on teams. And again, you just have to try your hardest and hope things work out. And there are so many other big shows to go to now, and there's so many other prestigious shows. You try and there's they have the global tour shows. They have a lot. You have Aachen. You've, there's a lot of different goals you can go towards. And and try and make the teams, but there's other there's other big prestigious shows to, to go to. Um, I myself am a big proponent on the objective system, but I don't know that we're going to get back to that. But it's still, you know, I still enjoy showing on the team when I can. And if you don't make it for the championships, there are other great places to show. You have Hickstead and Aachen and and uh, Rome. There's there's plenty of good places to compete and be on the team. And what's, what would you say is the hardest part of this sport for you? I think the hardest part for me growing up is I, I get, you know, is trying not to get overly attached to a lot of the horses because they were always for sale. All, since I was a little kid, that was probably the hardest thing. All the ponies and horses were for sale. And I would get a lot of projects and with breaking them and so forth, as soon as they got where they were going well, then they would get sold. So as a little kid, that was hard, but I knew it going into it. So it wasn't, it wasn't a big surprise. But that's something that, that was difficult. And even when I got older, it wasn't until recently that I've really been able to hold on to horses a little bit longer and put some groups together to, to keep them. And, and to run a business, if you know, it, they've always all, all been for sale. So luckily at, at this stage, if I can put bigger prices on the ones that I don't really want to sell. So if someone comes up and offers a crazy price, then obviously they have to be sold. But but. I feel very fortunate I'm in a different position now than when I started that I can hold on to some a little bit longer. But that was probably the toughest thing is, you know, not being financially stable enough to hold on to a lot of them and, and, and getting attached to the horses and you really, they, they get to be like family. They get to be like your pets. And then when, when they leave, it's, you feel better about the ones that go on and, and do well. That, that's always, that, you know, something that makes you feel good at least if they progress and go to a nice home so uh, you know when i was kind of looking over um reading your book and and whatnot you had talked about 
injuries. You you certainly had quite a few injuries, uh, especially in the 1990s. It seemed there was quite a few of them. Um, I guess can you talk about one just that kind of string and and then how you handled it? You know, when I was when I was younger, I got a lot of horses to ride that maybe other people didn't want to ride, and I rode a lot of ones that I probably shouldn't have. And and some of the people I rode for and that were other trainers kept telling me I shouldn't ride them. But I was for me it was a challenge and and I and I was always a bit of a daredevil too. And but most of the injuries I had it then could have been prevented with a little common sense and just thinking a little bit. I I went a lot of times. Maybe the footing wasn't just right or when it was it was a horse that someone wanted in a class that maybe it shouldn't have been doing and and. Uh, a lot of it when I, I mean, hindsight's always 2020, but there are times that I probably shouldn't have been, they, they could have been prevented with just a little more self-preservation and just thinking about it a little more. Um, and as I've, you know, and at the time, I, all I want to do is just keep riding. So I, I rode through, I, I never really thought about it much. When you're young, you think, okay, it's, you're going to get better quickly. That's, so. Right. Cause uh, I think some of the things were um, that you got back in the saddle very Quickly, yeah, no, with... I rode with Cass, which I probably should know quite a bit, and I just, I hated sitting on the sidelines, and it was really, I, I was kind of hyper as a kid anyway, and didn't like not being able to do anything, and I thought the cast would protect if I did fall. <laughs> I said, well, it's stronger with the cast, that has protection, so I should be okay. <laughs> not that my parents <laughs> thought that was such a great idea, but, but uh, you know, it worked out. Actually, the, I, I think the cast did protect me a couple times with some, <laughs> some of the things, but I just hated sitting out, so I I would start riding, I guess, a little bit earlier than I should have, and it's probably why I walk the way I do now. <laughs> so if I, at this point, I'm not riding as many of those horses as I did when I was younger, and I'm not breaking as many, you know, I don't break as many horses and ponies. I, I don't do that at all with the young horses anymore. I have someone else that does that, and I only, I really don't ride the babies as much as I did when I was starting. Mm-hmm. Those are usually the ones that I got hurt on the most. Or if someone had a dressage horse that they wanted to see jump, you know, you know that a particular day, and they'd ask me to get on to, I, I was kind of like a test dummy, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I got sure Margie'll do it, so I would get on and try. So anyway, I I, I don't do as much of that as I used to. <laughs> Um, moving on to uh, training, um, I, I know you were largely self-taught, but. Um, do you, maybe if you could talk about that and then also just maybe other either mentors or people who who helped you along the way in terms of training well with the training I was I had a lot of people that helped me when I was starting out the Kramers actually paid um, Penny Fires used to teach at the barn and Karen Harnden and they were really instrumental in helping me Karen was in George's George Morris's book and uh, on a white mare I believe in one the hunt seat equitation and she was a great writer and she she helped me quite a bit Penny helped me a lot, and, and the Kramers helped uh, pay for the lessons for me because I was riding and showing their ponies. So I did get a lot of help with them, and the Kramers always paid for me to do clinics on their horses and ponies too. So I was fortunate to be able to take clinics with like George Morris and Michael Page, Don Stewart, Carl Bissett, and I, I really soaked it all up. You know, I would go home and really study it. Like I said, I tend to overdo, so I would. I'd be out there practicing everything we did in the clinic with with the ponies and horses all the time. So I and I I learned a lot from the sidelines. You know, I'd sit at the fence and when I was a kid I used to beg my friends. I, I said I'll groom for if I can go to the shows. And I, when I went to the big shows, I'd 
when they weren't showing, I didn't have to help them. I was, I was watching and studying from the sidelines what people were doing in the schooling areas and watching him at the horse shows. And I think you can gain a lot of experience by watching and, and learn a lot that way. I learn a lot watching to this day when I watch Lisa work the horses and, and watch how she, you know, the dressage riders ride them with their flat work. I, I you know, we're still learning. So you can pick up a lot, and, and I really think the best teachers I've had are the horses themselves, because they, if, if you listen to them, they'll teach you a lot. They let you know when you're doing things correctly, and they let you know when you're not. So the, if, as long as you're listening, they're there to be, be probably one of your biggest instructors. And you mentioned you uh, talked about Lisa, so that's Lisa Wilcox, uh, obviously Olympic dressage rider. Um, she's riding some of your horses. How did that come about, and why do you think that's important? You know, I think the flat work, I think, has always been important. Back when I was even riding as a kid, both Penny and Karen both taught us that flat work was really important. When we did the clinics, Michael Page was really a stickler with that, with the flat work, because I guess from his three-day background, and I remember doing a clinic with him, and, and so was Carl Bassett when I took the clinics, and and uh, all of them, you know, it was the flat work is important. You want the horses to ride correctly in between the jumps. They have to be able to, you have to be able to open and close their stride, and they've got to be adjustable to get there correctly and at the proper balance. And Lisa's work with the horses on the flat is amazing, and she's it really helps them. She really gets them can cantering and carrying themselves from their hind end and that's where their power comes from when when they jump so you've got to have them active and you've got to have that spring behind loaded so the horses jump easier it gives you a lot more options from what distances you can jump from so if they're carrying themselves better and their balance is good and the spring is loaded they've got that suspension then they they give you a lot better jumps so you, you've got you've got way more options mm -hmm. than when you're carrying around with a horse on its forehand or off balance so it's really, really been very beneficial in our program, and she's been wonderful and been very, very generous with her time because she has her own business, and she, she's been helpful and comes and does one or two horses almost a couple days a week, you know, in the morning. She comes here first, she'll come at 7 o'clock before she starts at her own barn, and, and her assistant, Hannah Michaels, has been instrumental in helping some of my other clients and getting on their horses too, and it's, it's really worked well you know, in our program, and they've both been, I'm very appreciative of all the time they've helped with. And you mentioned uh, earlier Indigo, who's 19 this year. Um, how do you um, account for the longevity? I mean, he, he's not the only one that's that's been doing it at a high level. You know, he's just, Indigo loves life. He's lo I'm looking at it right now. He's just, and he already showed earlier, he's looking, looking out like, you know, he's, <laughs> He's just always fresh. That's him. But I think that the main thing is just not overpounding your horses. Is is keeping your horses fresh, not overshowing them, not overjumping them. I jump very little at home. I I do enough to keep them fit and happy and and comfortable. But I mainly just do gymnastics and a lot of good strong you know strong flat work. Sometimes take them for trail rides around just to mix up the work. Uh, Tim Ober's very. Uh, you know, says it's really good to work the horses on different surfaces. So we work both in the sand and the grass, and I do some road work with them on the hard surface, and you know, just whatever you can do to help them be comfortable, and, and for their longevity is is important. We do a lot with the chiropractics and acupuncture and all the machines and and anything that might help them that's not going to hurt them, we try and do. And I and I 
I try and listen to the horses quite a bit. You know, if they are telling you they're not feeling just right and a particular day, then you have things looked at. And my husband's got an uncanny feeling when he works on them with the chiropractics, and he can sometimes sense things before it even happens. And if he's going over them with his hands, and he he's he's picked up a lot of things before it's ever happened, and said, you know, maybe you should get this checked. And there's no swelling or anything, but he just has such a good feel of the horses. And you can sometimes catch things before they actually break. So if you kind of nip them in the bud, then it it helps for trying to keep the injuries to, to a minimum. And that's your husband, Dr. Steve Engel. Um, can you talk just about, uh, obviously you've done a little bit, but how he's influenced you? Or you... He's been great working with the horses, and it's nice because he was a vet before, so he, he knows the, the anatomy and know how everything works with the horses and he works with the other vets when th- there are problems and he can pick up a lot of upper body things now that he's doing he's just specializing in the chiropractics now so he works a lot with Tim Ober, Melissa Welker, Lauren and he can he can talk with the the vets and go over things that he's feeling too when when he goes over the horses and and it's it's kind of a group effort so they can kind of keep on top of everything and the injuries but he's been instrumental in helping with that and it also makes it kind of nice because he can travel and go to the shows with me and so it, when we first started dating it, it was hard because he was doing just the vet work and you're not together as much it makes it a little more difficult now he can travel to the mm-hmm. horse shows with me not that he likes to travel as me as much as we do maybe but he does he does go along with me mm-hmm. well that's nice that's yeah. a nice balance no, very nice with that can you speak about uh, maybe a favorite exercise, or you you talked a little bit about gymnastics? Um, but we just... do. I do a lot of like we did on practical horsemen. We did the exercises with I do the raised cavalettis, which which is kind of like the tire exercise that the football players use for the coordination with their legs and thinking where their legs are and the tires and everything. And I, I think when I do the raised cavalettis, it makes the horses aware of where their legs are. And just they have to be a little bit coordinated so they don't trip through there and it also gives us an idea of if they're really carrying themselves with suspension from behind and if they can elevate enough and they're really coming through with their back and hind end and it, it helps with getting their core strength a little bit stronger too those kind of exercises using different muscles up tight up top that uh, we don't normally use doing normal flat work and I do a lot of balances which is another exercise which really gets them using their jumping muscles without having the extra pounding of landing off of the big jumps. You can get them using the muscles behind that they need to push off to jump the jumps, but then you don't need to jump as high and they're still using the same muscles and they don't have the same impact that you would do doing large jumps. And it teaches the horses to rock back and jump off their hind end, and so they kind of study the jump and figure things out on their own a little bit. And that's a it's not you don't have to make them big to make them use themselves correctly and get the horses i like to keep them thinking a little bit on their own so those are two exercises i like to work with quite a bit i do a lot of exercises with canter poles so we're not doing too much pounding on on the horses so the riders can work on their eye a little bit and work on getting to the jumps correctly it's actually almost harder over a rail because you don't have anything to ride to so if they do it correctly and the horse comes around the rail and gets around, I mean, that's, it's it's more difficult than it looks like cantering over the rails. And it, it takes less pounding on the horses and, and you can practice that more with the riders. 
put out and, and you could teach your horses to lengthen and shorten and work on their adjustability work on the rider's adjustability so those are a lot of the exercises i like to work with that that takes a little less stress and pounding off of the horses um sort of on a opposite track or a lighter note what um what are some things like hobbies non-horse hobbies that you do you mentioned poker yeah i do like to play poker that's a good distraction i I love going to dinner with family and friends that's that's really enjoyable we used to do a lot of uh, my husband loves scuba diving and we did a lot of stuff going to the water like the caimans and down to the keys and things like that i was I got a little claustrophobic. I got my diving license, but I like to snorkel more than I do diving. I don't love being dependent on the tank, but I love, I mean, everything's beautiful, actually. We liked going down to the ocean so much. We we actually, one of my clients got me a huge, it's a 180 saltwater tank, and my husband takes care of that, and, he, and you can sit, it's just so relaxing to sit in front of that tank and watch. The saltwater fish are amazing, and it's, and he has all the corals in there now, and he spends a lot of time on that, taking care of the tank, and it's just it's beautiful to watch, mm-hmm. and that's really kind of relaxing and and uh, enjoyable to watch. I do some reading. I like to go to movies. Um, I used to do a lot of tennis and racquetball, but now that was a few injuries ago. We haven't done as much of that, but just trying to do things a little bit away from the horses so it's not constantly on your mind all the time. I think is good to keep you fresh when you are at the horse shows. And what's one thing that you might tell your younger self, you know, having, having, looking back? Uh... Oh gosh, that's hard. There's so many things I would like to tell my younger <laughs> self. Maybe to be, uh, think a little more about your self-preservation and not be such a daredevil. I was, you know, you think you're kind of indestructible <laughs> and, and uh, maybe having a little more self-preservation wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world because now at this stage i am having to do a lot more working out with weights and so forth as you get older to stay in shape and and some of the injuries do start to catch up with you so you have to do a lot of a lot more physical therapy than i did when i was younger but um that would be one of the main things i would think and i think my i would keep my parents uh, a lot more relaxed if i (laughs) wasn't quite such a daredevil whether it was playing football with the kids around the neighborhood or or uh, when I rode the horses, I, I made them quite nervous, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what what are your future goals? What what do you see on the horizon? I guess just trying to shape, stay in shape and uh, keep the horses that I have happy, the, the ones that were going quite well last year. And uh, they're getting to rest a little bit the beginning beginning of the year. They get each get two, three months off. And, and the younger ones that I have, trying to bring them up to the upper level. And I have couple new ones. Uh, Pio sent me a nice mare called USA Normandy and I have part of her and she's she's for sale also but um, just trying to get to know her and form a partnership and I have some other young younger eight-year-olds that I had had since they were younger in Europe with people like David McPherson and Nina Fagerstrom and Willie Vanderham and I I brought some of them over to to get used to and hopefully move up to the upper level and just trying to build build the string and stay in shape and not uh, not get hurt too much more. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you very much. I thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoyed enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening to Practical Horseman's podcast with Margie Goldstein Engel. 
I'd really appreciate your feedback. So if you have time, please rate and review the show and join us again in two weeks. Upcoming conversations are with eventers Buck Davidson and Great Britain's William Fox Pitt, show jumping Olympian Ann Krasinski, as well as top hunter rider Liza Boyd. You can subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening.